Welcome to the Trust Corner. On March 2nd, the White House announced a national cybersecurity strategy that in its own words, seeks to establish deep and enduring collaboration among stakeholders as the foundation of securing the digital ecosystem. In this special episode of the Trust Corner, we'll explore the most important provisions proposed in the strategy and what we can expect to see from government as they proceed to implement it. My colleagues, Niall Brennan, the Global Security Liaison Officer, and Kevin Richards, Vice President of Government Relations at SAP, and I, I joined by a special guest today, Mr. Sean Newell. Mr. Newell is the Senior Counsel of the Office of the Deputy Attorney General. I would like to thank my colleague, Niall, who extended the invitation, made it happen, established this partnership for SAP. And we're now thrilled to be able to highlight these unique insights for our customers and discuss the impact of the new strategy. Oh. Yeah, thank you. Nice to be here. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Niall, Elena, Kevin. I appreciate the invite to come talk to you today. Thank you so much. Cyber threats that pose a risk on critical infrastructure are becoming more sophisticated by the day. With ransomware attacks running into millions of dollars in economic losses, the cybersecurity strategy that we will discuss today is part of a larger effort by the Biden administration to strengthen our cyber defenses and governance to enable growth in emerging technologies. Sean, I'd like to start with you. The cybersecurity strategy has multiple pillars and outlines the strategy around five pillars specifically. I will list them for our listeners. Defending critical infrastructure, disrupting and dismantling threat actors, shaping market forces to drive security and resilience, investing in a resilient future, and forging international partnerships to pursue shared goals. Can you give us a short overview of the strategy itself and tell us what is unique about it? How does this approach differ from the cybersecurity strategy of 2018? And what were the administration's main goals in producing the document? Well, thank you for that, Elena. Um, so as you mentioned, uh, the national cybersecurity strategy has five pillars. And that's uh, how we typically organize these types of strategies. They, they have pillars um, and nested within each of those pillars are various strategic objectives. Um, so for example, in uh, pillar number two, disrupt and dismantle threat actors, there are various strategic objectives related to uh, increasing the tempo of disruption operations, to countering ransomware, to ensuring collaboration with private sector partners, such as SAP. So within those uh, strategic objectives, you have a summary of where the US government is on each of these issues, uh, where we want to go, and a very uh, high level summary of kind of the plan we have to get there. Um, I think some commentators have found that, you know, that last part, the how, uh, the strategy is a little light on details, but as I've been involved in these over the years, that's generally the case. What this strategic, uh, what this strategy does is really help ensure that all components of the federal government are rowing in the same direction, to use that analogy. And then the next phase, now that we've released this strategy publicly, is to get down to the implementation. And the Office of the National Cyber Director is leading that implementation phase. And that's where we're not only rowing in the same direction, but we're all kind of doing our strokes together towards that, uh, that end goal. And so I think where the rubber is going to hit the road uh, is in this implementation phase, which has just started now that we've released the strategy. Um, so how is this different than 2018? You know, I was involved uh, in crafting that 2018 strategy, just like I was involved with the Department of Justice in crafting this most recent strategy. Um, I've worked like that's crossing two different administrations. There were fabulous folks uh, working the cyber issues in both administrations, many like myself, career civil servants. 
Um, and I think both strategies really express a commitment to maintaining like an open, interoperable and reliable internet um, and really for setting forth a plan to disrupt actors who might threaten that construct. Um, where there's a shift, I think, in this strategy versus the 2018 strategy is, I think, a change in the overall tone. Um, it reflects, uh, this strategy reflects kind of urgency and an over-the-horizon focus. It really comes through in the language right off the bat, right there in the intro. And, um, you know, it uses references like we're in a decisive decade, um, uh, which, you know, has this over-the-horizon feel. And that really matches with the national security strategy that the administration already released. So I'd say one difference right there is, is that overall tone. Second, I think one thing that folks have really picked up on is the desire in this strategy to rebalance the responsibility for defending cyberspace. Um, the administration wants to push the responsibility for that away from the little guys, so to speak, um, who don't have the resources or the training to do that effectively. And they want to push that responsibility onto the larger players in this space, the operators and owners of key technologies and infrastructure and the federal government who just have the resources and the expertise to do that. And then I think the final thing here that's a big difference is this strategy picks up on the fact um, or on the theory that market forces alone uh, have not been effective in helping achieve that rebalance. And so there's a little bit more of a call for um, various regulatory grant making or even legislation uh, that could be used to help rebalance uh, things in that space. So, you know, I think this one does have a little bit more of that, uh, that ambition there that might have not have been in 2018, um, not because it didn't exist, but just didn't come out with the, the pages as much. Uh, and I really do credit former National Cyber Director Chris Inglis, um, who brought his own vision to this document uh, and his ambition. And I think it goes to show why he was the right pick for launching the Office of National Cyber Director at the beginning of this administration. Thank you so much, Sean, for this overview and for helping us look into those pillars. It's really a great structure for us to structure our own conversation today. Uh, Kevin, since you lead SAP's efforts to engage with the government on the public policy front, can you tell us a little bit how your team works with the government on these issues? What form does that collaboration take? Where do you begin? And what are some of those issues where there's consensus between government and the industry that might provide the opportunities for quick wins as we implement the strategy? Yeah, thanks a lot. I appreciate you having me here today. Well, SAP US Government Affairs is responsible for educating policymakers on our business model and our innovation. A key part of our mission is to shape SAP's public policy positions internally and then convey those policy positions as a company before stakeholders across the US government, as well as state and local governments. Our team ensures that SAP has a seat at the table when policymakers are shaping important legislation or regulations which impact our business, our employees, our customers, and our partners. Our collaboration takes a few forms of engagement. At times, SAP and my team will engage with policymakers directly. We meet with members of Congress and their staffs and with high-level political decision makers inside the White House and across several government agencies. At other times, SAP will leverage our trade associations, for example, the Business Software Alliance, the Business Roundtable, the U.S. Chamber of Congress, and TechNet, just to name a few, who help us shape industry points of view on policy proposals. Um, so there's certain times when SAP views are also relayed via our trade associations. When it comes to um, the newly released White House um, National Cybersecurity Strategy, I'd say there are a few areas of consensus between industry and government. Um, and first, I'd say the strategy is a much needed step towards a clear roadmap for collaboration between agencies and industry partners, particularly the technology sector. 
uh, prior federal cybersecurity strategic documents lacked specificity, uh, materially undermining their successful implementation and inhibiting uh, stakeholder engagement. I'd say second, industry supports the administration's stated intention to harmonize, streamline, and de-conflict any new or existing cyber regulations. And finally, I'd say that industry really commends the administration for developing a clear and measurable set of goals. And our hope is that the promised implementation plan will deliver uh, on its ambitious yet realistic timelines. As the old saying goes, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. And without tracking progress in cyber, cyber risk reduction, the strategy will be nothing more than a thought experiment. Um, so we look forward to working with Congress and the administration and we're giving feedback on the document and we're working with our partners in Congress as well. Thank you very much, Kevin. And the strong relationship that we at SAP have with the public sector and our own cybersecurity strategy will definitely help us facilitate our own next steps regarding the strategy that we're discussing today. Uh, so now I'd like to turn to you since you lead our efforts and coordinate with the government on security issues in an operational context, we can perhaps discuss pillar two with you. And that pillar sets the goal of disrupting and dismantling threat actors through improved collaboration between public and private sectors. Can you detail for us some of the ways in which we at SAP currently collaborate with the government and what are some of the opportunities to expand those efforts in the spirit of pillar two? Sure, um, and great question. Um, so there's been a real paradigm shift in recent years around um, public-private cooperation in the cybersecurity space. You know, the traditional uh, relationship was very much an arm's distance, uh, you know, industry saying to government, you take worry about government, we'll worry about industry, um, and we'll just kind of meet in the middle whenever we have to. Um, you know, recent events, increased networking, um, et cetera, has sort of shifted that, uh, uh, you know, certainly in the last couple of years um, to, a, you know, a new paradigm, which is sort of based on collaborative security. Um, you know, it's just not possible these days to um, secure the digital ecosystem um, unilaterally and protect oneself from, um, from all threats unless you're work, work, working across the transom. So at SAP, what we're sort of aggressively uh, trying to do is adapt to that new paradigm um, and build the structures by which we can be a, 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 an honest broker and a good partner um, in that collaborative environment. So some of the things we're doing um, to ensure that, you know, we're sort of actively um, obtaining the best threat intelligence and adequately responding to anomalies, uh, alerts, and events in, in our systems, and building resilience for future and emerging threats, is we're building those relationships both bi bilaterally and multilaterally with all of our partners uh, across the uh, public uh, and private divide. Um, so that means, um, you know, in the U.S. context, um, we've specifically worked very hard. In fact, my, my entire role within the security organization at SAP is um, to sort of develop and build and maintain those bilateral relationships um, sort of in the operational space where we need to uh, collaborate with government, you know, and, you know, such as we built very strong relationships with CISA and FBI and other partners along those lines um, to work together. Um, we also um, are, are very active in the public-private uh, partnership space. Um, you know, that is emerging as a very important dynamic in securing um, the digital ecosystem because, frankly, 
um, you know, there's power in the collective. Um, and when uh, sort of uh, all, both industry and government partners get together in a single space and, and find consensus, you know, security's improved. So we've, over the last couple of years, aggressively joined in, you know, several um, national level and global level uh, public-private partnerships such as DSAC, um, which is the Domestic Security Alliance Council run by the FBI and DHS, um, OSAC, which is run by the United States Department of State, um, which and both of those sort of create a network of companies operating globally or within the United States to collaborate on security issues across all broad domains, everything from digital security to physical security to national security. Um, we're also active in NCFTA, which is a unique model, um, the National Cyber Forensics and Training Alliance, a unique model here in the United States in which industry and government actually co-locate threat analysts and personnel in the same workspace to develop personal relationships as well as professional relationships and exchange information in a, on a real-time basis. Um, finally, we we're very proud to have become members just in January of 2023 um, uh, of the JCDC, um, which is CISA's brand new model, um, you know, the sort of next uh, step in public-private partnerships. Uh, the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative um, is really meant to take all the uh, uh, sort of developments we've made in the public-private partnership model over the last 25 years or so and bring it to the next level so that there's real-time operational collaboration and coordination. You know, JCDC is in its infancy, but there are all indications both from government and industry that the uh, belief um, in the model is strong and that the resources will be coming. Um, and once again, that through this network, will it'll contribute to a, a, a more secure digital ecosystem. Thank you very much, Niall. Sean, Pillar 2 also seeks to reduce cybercrime and specifically focuses on the reduction of ransomware as a threat vector. Uh, can you describe to us some of the efforts that uh, the government and your department in particular deal with these uh, persistent problems? Yes, thank you. Uh, so Pillar 2 uh, is probably the pillar where the Department of Justice and its various components within the FBI kind of have a, a, the broadest role within the strategy. We certainly have uh, different other portions and other pillars of strategic objectives where we have a role, but this one is really kind of where uh, our bread and butter is. So. Um, Earlier, I kind of discussed the broad ambitions of the strategy. I see a lot of what is discussed in Pillar 2 here as far as disrupting these threat actors is really buying the time and space um, for the rest of the government and the private sector to achieve some of these broader ambitions. Um, we, the strategy talks about making cybercrime no longer profitable. That is a very grand ambition, and we're certainly uh, committed to achieving it. But you know, in the interim, along the way, we're going to do everything we can to disrupt these actors, to change their cost-benefit calculus. And like I said, really give the network defenders out there someone in their corner fighting for them uh, off their networks. Um, and so what are, how are we doing that? We're The strategy recognizes that we need to leverage all instruments of national power. And I think this is something that's consistent from the prior national cybersecurity strategy. We're talking about diplomatic, military, financial, intelligence tools, and also law enforcement. Um, but, and I'm glad Niall mentioned this, it really does mean that we have to be lockstep with the good guy, other good guys out there. And those other good guys are the private sector, um, folks like SAP, um, our international partners in law enforcement, intelligence, and, and diplomatic establishments and the like. 
um, we have to team up with them. And I think some of that thinking has been in place for some time about needing to do that collaboration, but um, it really is, I think, starting to fire on all cylinders now, uh, more so than it was you know, two or more years ago. Um, and it, I really was, it did take heart to see the national cybersecurity strategy endorse some of these collaboration hubs with the private sector. Uh, for example, NCFTA, as Niall uh, mentioned, was is a, one thing that we like to hold up is a, a success in the public-private uh, partnership space. Um, as for the Department of Justice, what are we doing? Uh, about I'd say about two years ago, uh, at the beginning of this administration, the Deputy Attorney General, once she was confirmed, came in and commissioned what she referred to as the Comprehensive Cyber Review at the Department of Justice to see how we're countering these types of cyber threats, whether they're nation state or cyber criminal, and how can we, you know, what, what are we doing that's working? How can we do that better and faster and more scalable? And what other things should we try? And I think one uh, thing that came out of that and is now, I think, really taking hold in this national cybersecurity strategy is the need to have our personnel working to disrupt cyber threats focus uh, on successes both inside and outside the courtroom. And then sometimes that's tough for us in law enforcement, you know, thinking you got to arrest the bad guys, put them in jail. Um, but we really kind of took a page out of counterterrorism playbook, which is, yes, taking these folks off the battlefield or off the, you know, the cyber playing field is important, um, but there's a lot we can be doing in the interim to help prevent the next attack. Uh, and so, as one would expect from a world-class cyber workforce, the department, our prosecutors, or the FBI, our agents and analysts and the like, they've taken that to heart. And we've seen over the past year or so, a significant number of disruptions that are outside your traditional law enforcement put handcuffs on the hacker context. That's always gonna be our end goal. And there's no better way to disrupt a cyber threat than actually putting the hackers uh, who are conducting these attacks in jail. But disrupting their, the work that they are doing to target the little guys is really an important part of our mission. So several years ago, we engaged in a core authorized operation in the national security context to remove malware from victim computers that have been placed there by actors working in Chinese intelligence. Just uh, around the time of Russia's unjustified invasion of Ukraine, we leveraged a core authorized operation to not only remove malware, but also close some uh, vulnerabilities in other servers for the Cyclops Blink botnet that was being operated by Russian military intelligence. And then just in the last year, you've seen us take the fight to cyber criminals in the context of takedowns of large forum. A year ago, Hydra Market, then the largest uh, darknet marketplace out there was taken down in partnership with German authorities. And I've been talking like a year ago to the day. Um, since then, we've taken down uh, cryptocurrency mixers, we've taken down uh, cryptocurrency exchanges that are enabling laundering of ransomware payments and the like. And then today, the Department of Justice announced the takedown of the Genesis Marketplace, which was a key access broker for ransomware actors, that marketplace where they sold credentials that allow ransomware actors to get in the network and deploy that ransomware. Um, so what this shows is that we're going after the ecosystem uh, that's supporting these hackers and we're doing it uh, at, a, at a pretty rapid pace these days, much more than we were two years ago. So, but again, going back to one of our previous, previous messages, all those successes I just mentioned for you and going after the ecosystem and disrupting these actors prior uh, to their attacks could not have been accomplished without private sector partners and our international partners. So again, everyone, we're finding those good guys, we're linking up with them and are really going after these actors to buy time and space for the network defenders. John, thank you for describing these powerful efforts and successes that have been uh, accomplished and where the private sector also played a role. So in the first two pillars, we covered strengthening our cyber defenses and dismantling threat actors and spoke about our improved collaboration efforts. Now let's talk about the role that software providers and tech companies play or can play in the strategy. So Kevin, pillar three sets the goal of reshaping, reshaping market forces to drive security and resilience. Uh, in particular, it mentions 
shifting the burden of risk from digital end users to producers of digital products through higher data protection standards secured by design requirements and enhanced liability. As one of the world's largest software provider, this is something that's very relevant to us. And these are the core parts of our own strategy. Talk to us about how you see this playing out and how SAP is positioned to operate in this environment. Yeah, thank you for your question, Elena. Um, I would say that of the five pillars in the strategy, pillar three could generate the most debate uh, because of the implication that technology vendors will be held more accountable for the security of their products in the future. Um, a White House strategy in itself doesn't have the power to make corporations do anything differently, but it does serve as an important signal of where things may be headed on the legislative and regulatory front, which in itself can sometimes cause changes as businesses work to get out ahead of potentially inevitable actions by the government. Uh, for those of us who are watching the formulation of the White House cybersecurity strategy, um, you know, it's not a surprise to us that there's been a focus on the private sector and liability uh, for software providers, because in particular, um, the leadership of the US Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency has been vocal on this issue. Um, but we, in our view, the White House strategy is, is largely, largely aspirational. Um, I'd say it's boldest initiatives, including stricter rules on breach reporting and software liability, are apt to meet some resistance from business and Republicans in Congress in particular. Um, shifting liability to software providers will require congressional action. So SAP, our industry peers, our trade associations will play a key role in educating policymakers in Congress in the administration on the positive benefits of um, the, the strategy and some of the challenges when it comes to liability and how that could really um, run counter to uh, a strong cybersecurity posture. Um, sometimes, Proposals are put out with well-intended um, well intended, uh, goals, but sometimes um, have unintended consequences. And as we all know, cybersecurity is constantly evolving and providing incentives for companies to use best practices in secure software design and development would benefit the entire ecosystem. I personally worry if there could be a potential chilling effect that Pillar 3 may have on the flow of information sharing between industry and government I'm not a lawyer, but I do know one thing. If you get a bunch of lawyers in a room, things tend to slow down pretty quickly. And as a company's risk or liability exposure grows, then I can assure you that information that information sharing mechanism will slow with it. Interestingly, a recent um, report by uh, Forrester Research said that state-sponsored cyber attacks rose nearly 100% between 2019 and 22. Um, and their nature has changed with greater, with a greater percentage of those attacks now carried out for data destruction and financial theft. And those threats are mostly from abroad, Russian-based cyber syndicates and state-backed hackers from Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran. And of course, when it comes to cybersecurity, every policy effort has underscored how essential the public-private partnership is in helping to maintain our nation's cyber resiliency. After all, 85% of all US critical infrastructure is owned or operated by the, the private sector. So that information sharing mechanism is extremely important to combating cyber threats, especially due to the organized nature of cyber attacks on criminal syndicates and nation state actors. So SAP will continue to work with the administration as it refines policies coming out of the White House cyber strategy. And we'll also be working with Congress and um, the voices from the business community to help educate on the potential implications and continue to perfect and refine 
the um, legislative and regulatory vehicles that result um, that come out as a result of the strategy. Kevin, building on what you just said and going back to pillar three, Sean, I'd like to turn back to you for a second. The strategy specifically refers to DOJ's civil cyber fraud initiative as a means of holding vendors that contract with the government accountable for maintaining cybersecurity requirements. Can you explain the CCFI for our audience and for our customers or partners and how DOJ intends to exercise its authority in this regard? Yes, absolutely. Appreciate the opportunity to do so. Um, I'll, I'll start with this just to quickly frame what the civil cyber fraud initiative, the cyber cyber civil fraud initiative is um, and what it isn't. So what it is not is it is not any part of the uh, software liability discussions that are present in uh, pillar three uh, of the national cybersecurity strategy. Um, we are at the department supportive of the administration's efforts to work with the private sector and Congress to find the right uh, cybersecurity enhancing balance when it comes to software liability. Um, but really, I think the implementation of that will, as Kevin pointed out, will fall to other parts of the executive branch and the rulemaking process will fall to Congress um, and also the private sector will have a key voice in that. So the department, we're, we're really looking forward to see what comes out of that. Um, but while that is all ongoing, and you know, as Kevin pointed out, it will be a, a long uh, slog, most likely, given the number of interests uh, and voices in the room, the Department of Justice does have uh, our civil cyber fraud initiative um, that is trying to get to the same place just through a different vehicle. And what this is, is um, it has nothing to do with uh, lawsuits based on flaws and how vendors build their software. Uh, what the CCFI for short uh, does is it focuses on a separate problem. That really is uh, fraud. Uh, and it's fraud under the False Claims Act, which um, for those of you who are listening who aren't familiar with that, the False Claims Act can be traced back to the Civil War. It was really dealt with government contractors for providing the, the Union military at the time with uh, goods that weren't up to snuff. Uh, maybe, I think the example I've heard thrown around was you know, blind horses for Union cavalry and the like. And so the statute was enacted to enable the government to really go after folks who are committing fraud against the government in these types of procurement contracts. Now, I think what has been recognized by the strategy is the US government through its procurement power uh, and everything that comes along with that does have the ability to kind of help shape the market for software that is also uh, provided to the private sector. And so where the civil cyber fraud initiative really can focus is finding uh, various vendors out there who are really, they're not above board players. They're, as I said, uh, folks who may be committing fraud in, with regard to the cybersecurity protections they say that their software offers or the types of reporting that they will provide to the government about breaches into their systems that might affect supply chain and the like. And we're looking uh, at those actors who aren't living up to those promises that they've made in the contracts and really enforcing those contracts and doing so within the four corners of those contracts and ensuring that there's accountability in that space. And we really see some broad benefits to that. Um, and again, just enforcing existing contracts, not talking about new standards for software liability, but what that can do is improves overall cybersecurity uh, practices um, in, in the software ecosystem and or the vendor ecosystem. Uh, it'll support timely efforts to identify threats and vulnerabilities. Um, it will uh, hold uh, contractors and grantees accountable uh, for uh, this, the taxpayer money that has been provided to them uh, in exchange for services to the federal government. And I think most importantly, and we like to throw this out there, is it ensures that all the, the contractors out there and the software vendors and stuff who are doing the right thing, who are living up to the promises they make, they are not at a competitive disadvantage to the companies who aren't living up to 
this process. So we're hoping to weed out those who haven't spent the money on, on, on security, who haven't spent the money on ensuring compliance and allowing the folks who are spending that money to ensure that they have a great product to flow to the top and get the contracts they deserve. So again, like I said, uh, different function than the software liability, but hopefully getting us to the same place at the end of the day. Sean, thank you very much for this distinction. This is very helpful to understand. So the next pillar covers two subjects that I'm personally very passionate about, and I was glad to see that they were included in the strategy. So in pillar four, there's significant uh, commitment uh, to investment in the next generation technologies like AI and quantum computing, as well as developing a national strategy to strengthen the cyber workforce. These are the issues that are near and dear to SAP and particularly to the trust office, as my team has worked to develop cybersecurity programs in collaboration with colleges and universities across the country to really foster that future talent pipeline and narrow the gap in the cybersecurity workforce for us and build a more equal representation. So Niall, how are we looking at this pillar and what do you anticipate to be the opportunities for SAP to partner with the government on some of those initiatives? Yeah, I think that it is a very exciting space, as you mentioned, you know, particularly for SAP, and it does create a lot of opportunities. I mean, next generation technologies are the bold new frontier. Uh, you know, they represent the next phase of the digital revolution. Um, and uh, you know, in this pillar, the Biden administration commits, uh, you know, obviously not specific dollar amounts, but commits to significant investment in R&D and, you know, basically getting the government's digital house in order. And as the government does that, that then impacts the contracting space and then ultimately the entire uh, digital ecosystem. Um, unlike in the past, um, you know, so like, so in the past, the model for R&D was very much, you know, government kind of did the, uh, its R&D in siloed environments, you know, classified siloed environments. And it took many years um, for that, those technologies, those cutting edge technologies to be adapted to civilian use. And oftentimes, you know, if we look back, you know, throughout, uh, throughout history, as some of these sort of special cutting edge technologies were adapted for civilian use, that's often where the gaps were created that you know, sort of led to a lot of our security uh, problems um, in the digital space. What's interesting, and you know, this goes to a, a lot of what uh, Sean's initial comments were, um, you know, the, the, the difference in tone struck in this strategy. Um, you know, in this strategy, it, it's clear that the administration is trying to take a different tack in wel welcoming new models of cooperation in R&D as well. So in, in that new model would, will be more of one in which government industry, academia, and the research community sort of work together to ensure that next-gen technologies are developed efficiently, safely, and equitably. Like essentially getting it right the first time and not waiting for the problems to, to creep up uh, and then trying to weed them out later. So you know, the strategy kind of lays out clear uh, three specific priorities. Um, you know, which, which makes sense. Um, and those priorities are sort of computing technologies. So that's, you know, our microelectronics, our AI, our quantum computing, you know, all of those areas in which we're uh, devoting significant uh, resources at SAP. Biotechnologies is also a priority as well as clean energy technologies. So, you know, for SAP to, you know, to kind of answer your question, you know, this creates not only sort of the commercial opportunities that come 
um, in the government contracting space whenever you know there's a significant commitment to spend by by the government. Um, but there's also sort of opportunities for real thought leadership um, and and actual leadership um, in the development and deployment of next gen gen technologies. Um, so you know there will be as a result of this being a guiding principle. Um, I would expect to see. Um, you know, a proliferation of opportunities to partner with government um, and academia, you know, and with multiple partners across the ecosystem um, to advance the objectives of you know, security first uh, in kind of the race to develop um, new technologies. So, again, you know, I think historically we've kind of focused on developing technologies with security as kind of an afterthought. Um, you know, I, the, the tone of this uh, sort of puts security front and center as we sort of move forward in the technology race to, uh, to you know, develop new and, and uh, more cutting edge technologies. Thank you, Niall. So collaboration between the public and private sectors has been highlighted throughout the strategy. And Sean, you mentioned that international collaboration with our allies is also key to strengthening the national cybersecurity. Pillar 5 is focused on cyber diplomacy and forging international partnerships to pursue those shared objectives. Uh, so Sean, could you detail for us some of the ways in which you plan to strengthen the international partner capacity and expand the U.S. ability to assist our allies and partners? And what is the role for the industry to help those efforts? Yes, um, at the Department of Justice, we're ecstatic to see the uh, amount of attention that was provided to international partnerships by this national cybersecurity strategy. We've always uh, held out our the U.S. government's abilities to forge these alliances and these partnerships is really a strength of our ability to act not only in cyberspace, but other national security spaces as well. And so, you know, the fact that there is a pillar for this with a number of strategic objectives, um, you know, is, is well deserved. Um, at DOJ, international partnerships, as I mentioned in the beginning, uh, are something we care deeply about. Um, and hand in hand with that is international uh, capacity building. Um, and when it comes to, I think, all of our investigations, I can't think of one that didn't benefit from some sort of capacity building, either as part of that investigation or prior to that investigation. Um, but one thing that we do like to point out, and I think comes out in this national cybersecurity strategy is, you know, capacity building needs to occur both uh, at the developing country level, and we do a lot of work with that in the State Department, uh, with our, our partners at the State Department, but it also needs to occur at kind of a peer or near peer level. Um, for a lot of these countries that no one can, would ever consider to be developing, um, but, you know, they just don't have the, uh, the connective tissue uh, within their law enforcement or between their law enforcement and other parts of their government like we do here in the United States. I think that capacity building peers and near peers is really is something that's very important and often happens from the Department of Justice perspective in the context of ongoing operations. So I refer to that as operational collaborative uh, capacity building, which is really important. So how does that happen? Um, we conduct that sort of uh, collaboration through ongoing investigations, uh, either bilaterally or multilaterally through uh, international fora like Europol uh, and the like. Um, the European, the Europol's uh, European Cybercrime Center, EC3, uh, is a great resource that we've leveraged um, to bring folks together from around that region in particular to do these big types of disruptions. And again, you're bringing along a lot of these other law enforcement entities who have things they're teaching us and we're teaching them. So it really is a collaborative environment. Um, we're also doing capacity building through deployment of FBI personnel to assist in a time of cyber crisis. And we've done a lot of that in the last year, specifically in the context of Albania, Montenegro, and Costa Rica, 
were all victimized by significant cyber attacks. And we deployed uh, teams of FBI personnel, our cyber action teams, or CAT teams, as we like to call them, and our uh, cyber-specific legal attaches from around the world um, to these countries to really sit down on the computers with the affected governments and try to figure out what's going on in the network, find the actors, threat hunt, and get them off. And you asked about private sector collaboration. I think uh, in most, if not all of those instances, where we deployed teams of FBI agents abroad to help our allies and partners in the time of crisis, sitting right next to them has been someone from the private sector um, who is there to assist. So again, a one team getting all the good guys in the room to really uh, deal with these issues on an international scale is really important. So what kind of resources are we applying to? I mentioned the CAT teams. I mentioned we have cyber-focused FBI agents who are stationed at embassies around the world. We don't have a lot of them. We're looking to increase, increase the numbers and resources available to them. At DOJ specifically, though, we just in the last year uh, announced and filled a position of a prosecutor whose sole job is not to manage his or her own cases, but is to go out there and find opportunities for collaboration with international law enforcement, international intelligence services, and figure out how we can all bring our tools uh, together in these broad disruptions, because that's really what's what's needed. So um, on that front, and I'll say, you know, we have, uh, we're doing a lot in this space. Um, we have broad ambitions to increase capacity building. Again, like I said, with the peer and near peers, and we really look forward to finding more opportunities to leverage private sector uh, to join us in those deployments and engagements. Sean, thank you very much for highlighting these efforts, and uh, it's exciting to see how you support the the teammates in in uh, uh, in being able to implement various strategy uh, pillars. So, Kevin, for my last question, another big piece of the strategy is Pillar Five, uh, which emphasizes building global supply chains that are secure, resilient, and trustworthy. And certainly, this is the goal that we all share. So, what do you think about the regulation that may be impacting? operating environment, or where do you see a regulatory trend going with regards to secure supply chains? Sure, well, thanks. And I know that Sean and Niall, having spent their careers in law enforcement, uh, certainly know that cybersecurity does not stop at any border as these threats are global in nature and improving the US cybersecurity posture requires the engagement of countries around the world. It's critical that the new strategy delivers on the promised future vision of for international public and private collaboration, including the role of international standards bodies. When you look at SAP and our extensive ecosystem with over 440,000 customers across 26 industry sectors, we touch almost all corners of the US GDP. And no one company has better insights into the global supply chain or a finger on the pulse of the digital economy than SAP. This means we have a vital role to play and frankly, an obligation to partner with the US government to help improve our nation's cyber resiliency. And SAP as a non-US based multinational is doing exactly that. You know, in addition to our daily interactions with cybersecurity policymakers inside government, SAP also attended the White House summit on ransomware, uh, which brought together leaders from the US and foreign governments and US based and globally based corporations to partner on addressing ransomware threats. Uh, SAP also joined the Joint Cyber Defense Collaborative, or JCDC, which is a public-private cybersecurity collaborative that leverages new authorities granted by Congress in 2021 in the National Defense Authorization Act to unite the global cyber community and the collective defense of cyberspace. Uh, the JCDC participants consist of U.S. and non-U.S.-based companies and includes service providers, infrastructure operators, cyber companies, companies across critical infrastructure sectors, and 
subject matter experts who collectively work together to enable a synchronized cybersecurity planning, cyber defense, and response. And finally, SAP also engages with the US European Union cyber dialogues. The most recent one was held in Washington, DC in last December. Um, the US and the EU discussed their shared commitment to a resilient cybersecurity partnership an open, interoperable, secure, and reliable internet and stability in cyberspace. And the US and the EU also discussed a range of topics and updates on respective cyber policy frameworks, cooperation in multinational fora, cyber diplomacy and deterrence collaboration and responses to the geopolitical threats. But in some, Elena, I'm not concerned about increased regulation on supply chain, although you're seeing a shift um, in the supply chain and a reconfiguration of the supply chain. But I actually believe changes in the geopolitical landscape have led to improved partnerships between the US and the EU in particular and other Western allies and I think this will lead to increased coordination among law enforcement and additional information sharing. And SAP looks forward to continuing to participate in that dialogue with our partners in the private sector and within government. Fantastic. Thank you, Kevin. And thank you, Sean, Niall, and Kevin for joining us today and for sharing your valuable perspectives. Thank you. Yes, thank you. I appreciate you having us. Thank you.